Got me a brand new toothbrush They come in packs of twos Got so many pairs of underwears That I can pick and choose I may not have no sunshine But I'm grateful for the moon I got some ramen noodles And I found me a plastic spoon now you might say I'm going nowhere slow, but at least I get to smell the rose. The out of doors is always open and the bathroom is never closed. So happy go lucky. Happy go lucky. Happy go lucky. Happy go lucky. I'll be happy go lucky one of these doggone days. Internet, no Wi-Fi spot for me. Just friendly conversation, and I'm as happy as can be. You keep your fancy jewelry, you can keep your fancy cars. All that stuff just keeps adding up like a prison with fancy bars. So I share these words with everyone To see the silver lining in the cloud Don't be depressed just cause it's a depression No frowny faces allowed So happy-go-lucky 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 I'll be happy-go-lucky One of these doggone days This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. I hiked 15 miles, I hiked up to the watchtower, I watched an eagle in its nest, but I did not wear a watch, I don't care what time it is for me. It's always time to live, time to live, time to live For myself, it's always time to live, time to live, time to live It's always time to live 
as far I've been free of watches and of clocks. Time has ceased entirely to be. A dreamy, gentle haze fills me up with quiet joy. My solitude unbroken on the trail. Time to live, time to live for myself. It's always time to live, time to live, time to live. It's always time to Solved by time, you might not like the solution. I would sooner walk a day behind the borough than spend two whole hours on the streetcar. I have watched the white maned rapids shake their crests in wild abandon, surging, frothing, roaring, overwhelming. Time to live. Caught me off guard. I looked down and there it was. We only had three seconds left. Holy moly. Howdy, everyone. Uh, I suppose it's Happy Valentine's Day, but I wasn't going to mention it if you weren't. So uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, I don't really get it. Um, I mean, my love, my husband and everything. We're like, oh, yeah, this morning. Oh, yeah, by the way, Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot of anxiety around this holiday. People get really just oh, full of angst because they don't have the love of their life and their soulmate in their life. And I don't know. I guess I can't speak to that. I have a lovely gentleman in my life, my husband, Bob. He's a good man. We've been together. It'll be 21 years this year. That's insane. Except for living. I've never done anything for 21 years. <laughs> And I have to tell you, people, this is really crazy. And I'll admit it fully. I'm going to be 50 this year. Okay, the sex is not as often. But when it does happen, it's still good. That's a good thing. Uh, so, you know, it's it's and it was good at the beginning, too, you know, so it's all good. You know, it's just all different. Uh, so happy Valentine's Day, all of you lovely humans out there. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a, a nice week last week. I'm sorry I was not here. I was in Hawaii. Uh, once again, my husband's family lives there. So we get an excuse to go there. But uh, the excuse this time was that his mother's memorial, my husband's mother's memorial was last week. She, um, she left her body in November. And so we had a little memorial at a Catholic church. So I went through a nice Catholic funeral mass. 
don't really recommend the mass thing. It's confusing. I didn't get it. I, I, you know, my dad was raised Catholic. I was in a Catholic church twice. Well, not in it. I mean, yeah, a couple more times. But once I was baptized for my grandmother's sake. And then I remember being really, really little and my mom, my grandmother, Mary, taking me to the local Corpus Christi church that my dad went to and went to school. And we're sitting there and she keeps pointing at the altar and it had this like beautiful white tablecloth on it. And she keeps pointing. And she goes, God lives there. That's where God lives. And all I could f- see in my mind was this old man crouched down uncomfortably under this table the whole time the priest was talking. And I thought, that doesn't seem right. That man should not be locked underneath that little table like that. Very confusing. And the only other time I go to Catholic church is when I'm in New York and I go to St. Patrick's Cathedral and I light a candle for my grandma and I light a candle for my mom and I light a candle for my dad. And um, I remember the first time I was there to light a candle for my dad, adding him to the candle lighting ceremony when I go there. And I was in St. Patty's and I'm always like looking around like, which saint do I want to go light the candle in front of? Because, you know, I try to make it a little meaningful for myself. And and like most of the saints are kind of, you know, confused, angry people and I don't really like them. So I guess, you know, I'm just going to light the candle in the middle, right in the middle of the, the apse, I guess it's called the, the main part. And um so you go and you, you put a dollar in for every candle, which that's a racket. Put a dollar into the little box and uh, you take a stick and you light it on another candle and you put three fresh candles out. And the second I, I, I got the match lit, I got the stick lit, the second I put it down on the first candle, the organ in the cathedral went, boom. I mean, the moment of it was like, hi, dad. <laughs> Speaking of dads, I have a little essay that I wrote. You know me, and I'm doing these essays now, and um, and this one is not like the perfected one. I, I had to work today. I um, before we get to dads, I my husband's a freelance cameraman, and he worked for NBC Sports, and they needed a field producer, and so I got to go out and interview the captain of the LA Kings hockey team for a little ten minute quick little interview. Darling, darling, Dustin, Dustin Brown, darling child. Uh, so I was busy all day doing that and uh, didn't have a chance to really deepen and meditate into my essay today. But I I did sit down and I did put something together. And so if it makes any sense at all, it'll be because of the baby Jesus. All right, <clears throat> here we go. When Roseanne Cash was 18 years old, her dad took her on the road for two and a half years and taught her everything he knew about his music. He gave her lists of songs he deemed essential for her musical life to know and learn. She hung with great musicians and singer-songwriters and drank in all he gave her. She was immersed in the music. I have to admit that when I read that in her memoir, I was jealous. I always craved from my own father that kind of time and attention and investment in my artistic life. I know my dad gave me many lessons and moments, but... I remember few of them. Most of the lessons he gave me were through his example, him pursuing his art no matter what. When he did take the time to teach me something, those moments were mostly awkward ones. I would feel his tension around being so obviously the teacher and my own ability to just be a student. I had a hard time being the student because it made me feel inadequate, like I didn't know this thing already. And so I'd I'd feel inferior and judged by him because clearly he could see I hadn't learned it yet. And so I needed to believe that I was perfect. No, 
actually, that wasn't it. It's that he could see where I was incomplete or ignorant or unconscious. And he had such a scary, sharp mind that when it was pointed towards me, it was almost too much to bear. He had a way of looking into you with this tension in his face that I always interpreted as disapproval. Yahweh. My Jungian therapist and I were talking about my dad's seemingly judgmental rigidness and how it was like Yahweh. Or, you know, because we're Jungians, we talk about the Yahweh archetype. My dad had impossibly high standards for himself. It was like he was struggling with his own inner Yahweh, a father he could never please, which made perfect sense because my father never knew his father. And I think somewhere in there, my little girl self thought that if I could please my daddy's inner Yahweh, well, then he would be relieved of it. Does this make sense? Most know Yahweh as that Old Testament God, which he is, you know, the ruthless, seemingly unjust, uncompassionate God that creates a flood or famine because, you know, he's just pissed off in some way. He's the grumpy dad God. Unlike the cool dad God, Jesus, who accepts you no matter what, I mean, even if you're a whore or a leper, my dad was that father too, the cool dad, Jesus, God, you know, lenient, forgiving, always taking my side against my mom's more structured and rigid ideas of parenting. That's the dad I got most days growing up, the cool dad. But back to Johnny and Roseanne Cash. You see, my dad never ever wanted to impose any idea of who or what he was on me. He wanted me to find my way, not rebel against another's like he had. I find this an incredibly admirable stance to take for one's child. Funny, though, how our psyches take what our parents' deepest wishes are and still manage to mangle them because I saw his lack of specific encouragement as an unspoken judgment about my talent. I kept waiting for him to take me under his wing, take me on the road, teach me the chords and words, and grant me the legacy of all those whose shoulders he stood on. But he didn't. Well, not at least in the way that I wanted to. But really, 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 when I sit down and I think about it, he actually did. He introduced me to the jazz-like oration of Lord Buckley and the impeccable characterizations of Ruth Draper. He exposed me to the intelligent satire of Kurt Vonnegut and the keen harmonies of Simon and Garfunkel. He laughed easily and sincerely at my impressions of Ethel Merman and Vicki Lawrence playing Mama. He rev- he reveled in my play on words and my older-than-my-years outlook toward life. He was always proud and had a beaming smile for my creative expressions. I can finally see it so clearly now. The voice in my head, the one that sounds like Yahweh, the one that deems my thoughts and desires to express myself as foolish, is not my dad, No. Maybe decades ago, I saw them in my dad somewhere and thought that they were his true thoughts. And so I took them on and decided that they were going to be the standard bearer. But now I see that they are my Yahweh thoughts. They are the archetype of the angry God run amok in my psyche. And unless I need to throw some thunderbolts or bring on a plague, I certainly don't need them around every single day. And thank God. I'd much rather hang out with that hippie Jesus. God knows. He knows how to have a real party. 
Mr. Cosby invited me to Sunday breakfast. Hot cakes, eggs, and cereal with no sugar. Barely was I through when he probed into my religious upbringing and beliefs. He invited me to Sunday school, shaved me, and we drove down at the pastor and his wife and his three daughters. The eldest daughter was the prettiest, no doubt, and I behaved quite well for an unbeliever, for an unbeliever, I behaved quite That was Dan Byrne. He was both the first song and that song. The first song was called Time to Live, and the last song there was called uh, Unbeliever, which was fitting for my Yahweh speech. Well done, Logan. You know, we're trying to do themish things around here, you know, and most of the time we don't plan it, and it just kind of shows up anyway, because that's how life is. Isn't that lovely? Uh, So uh, welcome back, everyone 
to the show. And uh, I'm excited to in, uh, talk to my next my next guest, my guest today, uh, someone who I've not met in person, which isn't strange for this show, um, someone I've met through social media. I saw him on, uh, what's it called? <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> what's that thing called that people use 24 hours a day? And uh, I saw him on Facebook, and I think I saw him through the Pacifica Graduate Institute um, page I was on. I don't know if he's a graduate there or not. But anyway, his name is Jeff Brown. And Jeff is an author. He's uh, got two books out, one called Soul Soul Shaping, and the other one uh, called Oh, God, he's going to tell me. I know it's ascending something. I'm sorry, Jeff, this is like a bad introduction. But the other thing is, he's a filmmaker. And he's got this amazing documentary called Carmageddon, K-A-R-M-A, karma, that kind of karma, uh, which is just quite a journey, quite a ride. If you are any kind of a spiritual seeker, and if you've been in this spiritual seeking game any amount of time, you got to watch this documentary. It's just absolutely fabulous. So I'm just very excited that Jeff is here today because Jeff, uh, like me, is a seeker and seems to have a lot of the same issues just in life in general. So welcome, Jeff. Welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Thanks, Kelly. Sorry about that mangled introduction. No, 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 don't worry. It's called Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground. I thought it was, but then I thought, oh, I'm going to be a total yeah. ass if I say that, and it's wrong, but it's I, that's why I figured you would say it. But uh, I love that title because um, really this issue, and it's an issue that you, you, you hit on in Carmageddon, but definitely you hit on in, in Soul Shaping, which I read, uh, is this, you know, how do we – how do we do this thing if we're humans in this finite body and we have this ability to tap into this transcendent, infinite mind body space in some ways, this thing they call enlightenment? Uh, you know, how do you, how do you do it both? How do you, you know, how do you manage all of that energy? And, uh, and so I was like, yes, someone else's is you know, as interested in this topic as I am. So uh, I would, you know, we'll, we'll talk a lot about that. But I, I wanted you to just um, start here today, maybe tell the audience a little bit about how you came to, um, you know, this, this place in your life where you are like, you know, you're a writer, you write about these topics. And yet, you started in a very different place. I mean, you're like the person who kind of who like lives I mean, although it was the Canadian dream, but Waking from the American Dream is the name of my show. It's like you were wanted to be a criminal lawyer. You were going to live the quote unquote straight life. And yet something called you to something different. So what was that like for you? Well, you know, I mean, I was, I always had glimpses of path in my adolescent years. One of them was criminal trial lawyer, and I always had a vision of, would work for a, a very famous Canadian lawyer named Eddie Greenspan that I used to see on television and that I felt a lot of real deep resonance with um, as a kid. And so that was really part of my path, you know, my real path. And it wasn't, you know, I'm not an example of a guy who went and became a doctor because his mother told him to <laughs> and he realized he wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a criminal lawyer. And um, there were no regrets around walking that path. And so then I, mm. you know, I ended up articling or apprenticing in Canada for Eddie in, um, when I was I think, 29. And I um, had a profound year. You know, we did a major, major police murder trial. I wrote the jury address for it. I, I won prizes. And I was really primed to 
become a prominent criminal trial lawyer. And that's not egoic language. That's just what it was. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, I was going back for the, just before the final bar admission course, we had it separated out at that time. I went to Europe and, and had a deeper glimpse of path as a therapist and as a writer and someone who studied psychology. And, and that I'd had many glimpses along the way, but that got deeper. Mm. So by the time I came back to do bar admission course, I was in a state of spiritual emergency. I was completely confused as to who I was. And, and uh, afraid to step into trial law at that stage because I, I knew I would get got lost in it. I mean, my average docket in my year with Eddie was, I think, 117 hours a week docketed. Mm. So I loved it. And um, so, you know, I had a little voice in me that I called Little Missy that was pulling me off that path. It wasn't, she wasn't really telling me where to go, but she was telling me not to do that. And for whatever reason, I just barely listened to her and, uh, <laughs> and stepped step back. I just stepped back for a period of time and until I could clarify and make the decision that trial law wasn't the path for me. And then I Come on, Skype. what I had had glimpsed throughout my life, which was to ultimately write, you know, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting because when I read about that part, when you were, you know, you know, when, the, when the, the, you call it little Missy came and was talking to you and you're taking this step back and that period of time, I, I could so relate to it because I, I, I just, I've always felt in between two worlds myself. There's, was always this kind of more mainstream world of, um, I don't know, doing what the world expected me to do. And some of that was just even just mainstream entertainment industry stuff. Um, and then there was this deeper need to go down and into an inner and and to to kind of live the the path of a mystic in some ways and um and for so long i felt so trapped between those two poles not being able to see any way i could reconcile them and it was such a a really painful place to be at at the time and yeah. um yeah so how long did you stay in that place where you I mean, are you? Do you still have days where you wake up and go, "Oh, maybe I should have be the trial lawyer again"? <laughs> maybe, no. Okay. No. <laughs> no, and, and you know, I think that because of the nature of my own um, split offness and my own, you know, in this lifetime, I really think I was making some archetypal shift from mm. from trial law as a, as a path or trial warrior or malevolent warrior to a more surrender or healing path, but still a warrior path. And, you know, I really needed to, it's kind of like trying to get away from bad friends, you know, as you do try to develop new pathways in your life. And, you know, you have to really push off hard against them. And, and ultimately when you, you know, find some in, integration of the new way of being into the way you move through the world, you can go back and reclaim some of those things. So you know, the, the joke of it is, is that I never left the mainstream. I've run a window business throughout this entire journey. And, you know, the warrior has been with me every step of the way. The warrior wrote soul shaping. The warrior punches his way through reality to create space in my day for me to write more books. And, you know, the the warrior allowed us to make that very, very difficult film, me and my best friend. And so it's all really happening at the same time. I don't um Yeah. I don't make the distinctions anymore. I'm not sure they were ever really true. I mean, for sure, there's something called, called false path and soul shaping, and there's something called true path. And for sure, there's something, at least for me, called soul scriptures or an encoded path or who I'm here to become. And, 
And, and to the extent that I become that, I shape my soul to the next stage in this movement towards wholeness. And if I don't walk that path, I'm definitely on a false path, and I suffer for it. And so there are distinctions to be made, but you know, this mainstream, non-mainstream thing, I yeah. don't know. I mean, yeah. we're just we're just here we are. You know, it's like distinguishing our humanness from our spirituality. That just seems so ridiculous. It doesn't make an ounce of sense to me. I mean, this whole trip is a spiritual trip. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think that's... Uh, I mean, how can it not be? Yeah, of course. And it's interesting. I'm reading a book right now. I'm just starting to get into it about the difference between left brain and right brain. And and it's called the master and the emissary. And really the difference, the, the main kind of overall theme is that one side of our brain is really about focusing, uh, zeroing in on a task and focusing. Uh, and the other part of the brain is more about getting a bird's eye view, a, a kind of a world view, and that they have these two sides of our brain and that the um, that our left brain, which is the focusing on the task one, you know, uh, has, is really, you know, kind of how our culture works and everything. And yet both these things evolved for us. And so they are both of who we are. And yet we have a hard time doing them at the exact same moment, there is this kind of traveling back and forth between them. And that's, and that's kind of the way I think about when you first, you know, become a spiritual seeker, I know, for me, it was like, oh, and you talk about this in the film, you know, it's like, oh, it's all about, you know, spiritual bypass, we call it in, in, in this in this spiritual world, you know, that right. I just want to go right. straight to the spirit right. part, you know, I don't want to do the human part anymore. <laughs> because what, what we're often calling spiritual seeking is, is this is just the uh, desire to get out of here. It's, it's the self avoidance masquerading as enlightenment trip. It's the Eckhart Tolle witnessing his pain body and calling that presence in the power of now rather than going deep into the emotional field, deep into the human pain body, and coming through the other side transformed with an expanded consciousness, right? Yes. There's so much of this. It's non-dual teachers talking about unity consciousness while conveniently removing the pain body, personal identifications, the physical body, (laughs) the pain body, everything is removed from the field that's uncomfortable. (laughs) And we call that place that's, that's now comfortable spirituality. It's not spirituality. It's self-avoidance. What they're doing is they're teaching one thread in the matrix yes. of spirituality and calling them that thread spirituality. The real spiritual teachers, and we, they haven't come yet, are the ones who are actually inclusive humans who are really in all realms at one time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting watching the documentary today because um, uh, I, uh, I work with a teacher – not my guru. He's not my teacher. He's a, he's a Zen master. His name Genpo Roshi. And um, two years ago, he had a great fall. He he's been a Zen master for fifteen years. You know, given ink out of many people, and you know, transmission and all of that. And he's a he's a Jewish guy from Southern California. He's he's not an Easterner, but um, he came up with Bernie Glassman and stuff like that here at the LA Zen Center. But he had a fall two years ago where it was found out that he was having an affair with one of his students and he was married at the time. And he, he's a friend of mine. He's come on my show twice now. We've talked very openly about this and he's talked a lot about how for almost 30 years he, he decided not to be a human being. He decided to just stay in the spiritual realm and become this teacher and let all the projections come onto him and believe and let his ego believe all of that. To the point where he forgot about the human price that he was, you know, the effect he was having on people and he's having a real realization around it. And, um, 
you know, I think I think this is what the West is about, though, for, you know, as this interesting, you know, East meets West teachings and how attracted we've been in this country the last 40 years to this. And, you know, what you, you're obviously you're a psychologist like myself. I'm a, I've got my master's in psychology. You know, we're about understanding the psyche, understanding ego, understanding the development of personality and that you can't do it. You, you know, you can't be a full realized person being unless you do both sides, you know, work on your human and work on your being. Yeah. I mean, I call it Western consciousness now. (laughs) It's the quest for unity consciousness that's intrinsic to certain Eastern traditions. Yes. So, you know, it's, and, and then the Western wisdom, which is the healthy self-concept, the boundary self, the integrity-based self, right? So when you bridge these two, then you, then you have everything, right? You have the oceans of essence, and you have the individual droplet of meaning coming together. If you go too far in either direction, too far in the direction of the West, you lose the bigger picture, right? Yeah, you yeah. really just think you are your psyche, right? You go too far in the direction of the East, you're now like a guru who thinks you can do absolutely anything, because really, those behaviors have nothing to do with who he really is, right? right? Essentially, he's a soul being that's far beyond that. And of course, that becomes, you know, so I make a film of a Bhagavan Das thinking he's a spiritual guy. And at the end of the journey, now years later, I don't see anything spiritual about him. Because for me, spirituality, a spiritual being is one who can hold, who can bridge the wisdom of the West and the wisdom of the East in one human form. Yeah, yeah. That's the next. That's the next step. You know, all the gurus are getting exposed because yep. really they're one-winged birds. I mean, they're like they're on pogo sticks to the stars. There's no root or foundation, egoic foundation, psychic foundation. Developmentally, they're like three-year-olds who just happen to have the capacity to like float around in the cellular realms or whatever. Mm-hmm. We really now need to develop teachers, or maybe nobody, but if anybody who's going to be a teacher that they can really hold the space for both those realities and bridge it beautifully, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think about, I met this beautiful um, uh, Hindu guru, uh, Swamiji is his name. I don't know his full name. It's one of those long, long, long names. And it's, he's a lovely, lovely man. And I got to sit with him and then had, a, you know, some powerful energetic experiences with him. But I know the world he comes from, he is taken care of like a god. He doesn't have to like have an ego in the world. And, and I really see that like the minute these people come to the West and the, you know, the, the ego in the West is a very different experience than it is in, in the East and in those cultures. And I see that that's like, I think that's where the trouble starts to happen because this, this Western ego takes on the cloak of the of the God in some way and says, "Oh, I am the God," you know, and and is you know, and it's it's different. I think if they're like in an ashram and they're in the Himalayas and they're sequestered, and maybe they don't have any issues around this stuff. Maybe there's not a lot of sexual craziness going on or power issues. I don't know. Maybe there is, but. But I really see it. It's like when they come to the West, it's like that's when this shit hits the fan and and there's a lot of wreckage around them. I mean, certainly Trump. Well, yeah, choke him, Trump, or Ripoche. Yep. I mean, look exactly. what happened. I mean, it's classic, right? You know, and, and the story for those delusional people around these people is that really what's happening is that they're actually doing this to model something to us so we can learn some lessons. That's a lot of hogwash. What's really happening is they're completely underdeveloped with respect to the Western mind, right? Yep. They're not psychologically developed. They haven't developed uh, individual integrity. They've been striving so hard as projected gurus to have no boundaries mm. to 
lead all of us out of our boundary self into the ocean of essence, that when they come here, they realize they haven't done any work to form boundaries. There isn't an individuated self. There's not a developed container. And without that developed container, all not manner of nonsense ensues, right? So it's perfect now, the revealing. It's all... All perfect. Yeah. You know, as yeah. long as we now move in the direction of understanding what has to happen. Well, absolutely. And, you know, and I really think the issue of, of not only self-responsibility for the teachers, but really self-responsibility for the students, because, you know, a lot of what happens in your documentary is you encounter people, including yourself, who had projected all of your own godlike self and, and aspects yep. onto this yep. person and and was not yep. taking responsibility for your own power and your own light and your own ability to make a choice. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the human experience. We're still at the stage where we're not ready to see God in the mirror. Yeah. So we need to see God somewhere. So we project it onto a, an, a, another fractured being who's walking around <laughs> pretending not to be fractured. I mean, that's, and then we, you know, the shit hits the fan. We get, the truth hits the fan. We suffer. And then eventually we go, what the, what about me? Why can't I be the whole being? Right. Right. I mean, really, why? Right, right. Yeah, and, you know, and, and that's also the next step. And, and it's it's so beautiful because when when Gempo Roshi, when this fall happened for my teacher, um, because you know when I worked with him, one of the things I thought, which was very you know fantastic, because you know we, we really are here to learn our own lessons. When I was working with him for like five years, I thought you know this guy really because he does a lot of shadow work. He does this thing called the Big Mind Process, and it's Gestalt. He basically uses voice dialogue aspects to deal with the shadow aspects. So he does a lot of Western psychological parts of the personality. And then we step into the transcendent with the Gestalt method. It's really cool stuff and very, very powerful stuff. And so I was thinking, wow, well, you know, he's doing a lot of shadow work with all of us and he does a lot of his own shadow work. But, you know, as we know, the shadow is unconscious. So you can't always be doing your good shadow work until it until it slaps you around. And when his fall happened, because I, I he was one of the cleanest teachers I'd ever met, I thought, wow. None of us gets out for free. None of us. We're all humans and we're all going to fall flat on our fucking faces. Right. Absolutely. You know, and maybe the setup, really the whole problem begins, despite the fact that it sounds like he was wise enough to integrate sort of Western psychological or psychotherapeutic concepts of the emotional body. The fact that they're set up as the knower is yeah, already yes, the problem. Exactly. And that's what he's been talking about. And, for and, the last he, few and I don't yep. know, I don't know anything about him, but if he claimed to be enlightened, you already know it's delusional. Right. Nobody's right. enlightened. It's a big fat lie. Right? right. The moment I hear someone tell me they're enlightened, I think that they're mentally ill. It's not complicated for me. They're simply mentally ill. We are on a journey, and maybe you hit level seven out of a hundred in your most expanded moments, but any deeply aware human being knows that there are, can glimpse the so many other levels and stages that we've yet to come to as a collective, and we're living in a collective framework. You yes. can't go too far out of the collective framework. So, you know, why are they a teacher? What is a spiritual teacher? How can you be a spiritual teacher? What exactly does that mean? Right. You're teaching spirit? What is it? How can you teach that? <laughs> it's, I mean, you can teach how to meditate. You can right. do what Eckhart does and teach people how to witness their pain body and right. have an aha moment. But to teach the whole gestalt, the real framework, I mean, who I've never met anybody who's ready to do that. Yeah, and, and certainly... I mean, we are our own spiritual teachers. I mean, that's what we are in every moment by saying... Life. Yeah, life. life. The spiritual teacher. Yes. That's your spiritual teacher. Here we are. Exactly, exactly. You know, we show up for all of it. We're going to move forward somehow, right? Yeah, I mean, if, if you know, it's it's about, like I said, personal responsibility, willing to say, okay, 
hmm, this is something I need to look at, or I need to integrate, or I do need to, to, you know, work on and, and face my own shadow aspects of and, um, and, and that's takes courage. You know, I mean, that's where the warrior comes in. I yeah. think that you were talking about yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard work. It I is mean, the school of hard school of hard not hard knocks. It's hard to graduate. You got know? <laughs> yes. to gotta work hard. I mean, it's and it doesn't end. You don't you don't start writing about these things and suddenly you know things. I mean, I've spent the last three or four years dealing with all kinds of issues that come up when you start to get any form of public presence, even in social media. Yes. So I'm right back into the next level of my issues, yeah. stuff I was definitely avoiding by me keeping myself small. And, you know, it just, it doesn't end. You know, it really is a this wonderful lifelong journey. And, you know, the beauty of it is you get to have new eyes at every turn. Like if you do the work, really do the work rather than avoid the work. And, mm. and then you keep transforming and reframing and reshaping your consciousness. Then you really feel the benefits of your efforts. But, you know, you just don't get into the wholeness trip. Like, I've got it all worked out now. I mean, that, I mean, well, how sad would that be? If that happens, they take you away. <laughs> yes, you're done. <laughs> it's over. You're your Brahmin or something, and now you float around and I don't know what you do. I don't, yeah. Chess pieces around from yeah. above. I'm not sure. But, exactly. exactly. Yeah, I want to stay around for a while. I got work to do. I need to stay here. I don't want to fool them into thinking that I figured it out, right? Because then they're going to take me before my time. Yeah. And, you know, I always know that like the minute I think I've got it figured out or like I've got a new level of understanding, oh, life comes along immediately to remind me that I am <laughs> oh, so flawed and oh, so human. <laughs> and I have yeah. no fucking control at all. <sighs> Um, you know, I was thinking it was interesting during the um, one of the uh, interesting aspects of Bhagavan Das and his personality. And that's the person that Carmageddon is focusing on is this amazing, inspirational, devotional chanter, singer, uh, the, you know, the, uh, very famous. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the aspects of his personality and, and what he represents so well is that archetype of the wild man, you know, the one who has no rules and, and who's, who's here to kind of break the rules and play the fool. And, and I started thinking about the difference between how someone like him was playing out that archetype versus the court jester and the importance of the court jester archetype in in the culture, you know, the one who who says that the emperor has no clothes, you know, yeah. um, and and I was yeah, I was really trying to measure because you know he was claiming that that's really the role he's here to play in your life. You yeah, know? yeah, he's the he's the fire started. He 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 goes into your house and, and makes trouble so you to expose all of your unresolved issues and that sort of thing. Right, and and that's yeah, and and it was just it was really interesting to see the subtle difference between you know because. The difference, and I think the difference, I don't know if, if you agree or not, is the difference between like the court jester is really in service of the collective, whereas I'm not sure that Bhagavan Das is really in service of anything but his own id. <laughs> so, are you there? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I just, just so you know, I'm losing you for periods. Oh, okay, if, yeah. If I answer the wrong question, just correct. It, it's, remind me. Yeah, the, the right Skype Skype's a little iffy today. I was just saying that I felt that Bhagavan Don, uh, Bhagavan Das is in service of his own id versus the court jester being oh, yeah. in service of the collective. Right. Right. Well, this was a really confusing issue for me because I I I, I do have an um, ungrounded bypasser living inside of me, and 
I can be fooled. Mm-hmm. Um, and not so easily now, but I could then. And, and certainly by people that I have particular um, karmic kind of energy with, or, you know, there's something deeper okay. happening. Yeah, a deep and, connection, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, so they always throw us, right? I mean, that's, that's the work. And, but, you know, I really had this question of, okay, it's clear that he's acting out. So we got, that was pretty obvious. But it was like, I wanted to believe what he wanted me to believe, which is that he was acting out with some benevolent intention. And, and if you recall, I went to Ram Dass, and that was one of my core questions, which yeah. is, it, what's his intention? And the parents of the young girl who he came to marry and wed and bet and all the rest of it, their their view, not knowing him, and reading Neem Karoli Baba's book about him doing various things like that to help elevate people, right. I think, you know, they got hooked into the idea also that his intention was good, that he had transcended ego, I think Mr. Lamarck said in the movie, mm-hmm. which is, as we know, simply not true. And, you know, I it took me a long time to understand that his he wasn't... Um, Chokim Trumpa, and I don't even know if Chokim Trumpa was really Chokim Trumpa in terms of doing all of these things to help. You know, it's yeah. you know that's that's a that's a that's a very complicated path, and you've got to be really cleanly intended for it to land in the right way. And and that's what basically Ramdas said. He said you have to be able to justify yourself on every plane of awareness. Yeah, and, and Bhagavan Das can't. Yeah. Um but but it is it is a very important distinction. Spiritual seekers get hooked into this all the time where you know the the guru acts out in all kinds of inappropriate ways and just keeps projecting it back to them that really it was intended for them to be upset and triggered so they could look at their jealousy issues when he hits on their wife. And I mean, you know, if you, as we get more sensible about this and mm-hmm. as we get more used to them coming here and doing this, we now realize how ridiculous it is, right? You know, there are other ways to convey the lesson, you know, without <laughs> yes. being so self-serving. Right. You don't have to steal my girlfriend's picture to make me aware of the fact that I have some triggers around theft in my home. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Well, and, you know, I was thinking a lot about how just as human beings, how primed we are for that kind of projection. I mean, look at our celebrity culture. You know, it's insane. We're we're so crazy. I mean, and you know, I'm convinced that's why a lot of them screw up. I mean, you know, maybe that's why Tiger Woods made sure he went crazy. I mean, isn't there some part of these people that wants to be human again? Of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, not only. I mean, you've got to think so. It just seems like, you know, when Winona Ryder goes and gets caught stealing something from a store she didn't need to buy, I mean, what is that? I mean, it must be a, a, a desperate desire to be a person again. Well, I mean, and I'm sure, I mean, I, I know the little bit of projection that I have put on me, uh, mostly because of my father and who he was, who had a ton of projection put onto him and still does. And and your own self, who now that, you know, you're an author and you're out in the public world, you know what it feels like when people are throwing that at you, that energy. I, I, I have a really hard time with it. I, I, I keep trying to bring it back to humanness. Um, for my own sake, for everyone's sake, but for really for my own sake, I don't want to believe my press clippings. I can't write a word if I believe those press clippings, yeah. right? You know, I can't. I mean, I sure I need it to need cachet to bring it into the world and be taken seriously, but you know, really, it's dangerous. It's a perilous path to keep projecting, project. But at the same time, I get it. Like I had to believe Ram Dass was a certain something because I needed to believe that there were good. Jewish spiritual men out there. I didn't grow up with too yes. many of them. Yes. You know, so these projections can be done and handled in really the right way. And if you can live up to that as the projection, then it's 
I guess it's okay to a limited extent. You know, I'm, I play with that all the time and try to be of service and try to live up to that. But, you know, I need to be human too, and you've got to be really careful that you don't stop being a human being because you're trying to be, and then it crashes and burns because you will destroy it because you want to come back down again. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think about it, the training as a therapist, you know, we get a lot of training around transference. I mean, that's our job is, right. to, is to work well, with it. Well, we do to, to work, work with, it. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. And, and, I, right. and I still believe that, I mean, I have a, a real – kind of dedication to that. You know, I, my part of my joy in the world is, is, you know, always reminding people that, you know, we keep, even if we take the mask off of our persona, the minute we do that, we're building another one. And, and so it's always our job to, to be pulling the mask off and pulling the persona off. And so I, I get a little bit of thrill and joy, which is my issue of continually to pull the mask off and say, Oh, yes, I know you think I'm this, but guess what? I really am human again. And, and this is maybe something that you're needing to own about yourself. You know, what about your power? What about your wisdom? What about your knowledge or, or whatever it is? Absolutely. Absolutely. My plan always was, I mean, book signings aren't really the thing anymore, but was to carry a little book around with me that when people came and asked me for my autograph, I always would ask them for theirs. (laughs) Why should my autograph be worth more money than their autograph? It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Why should it have more value or cachet than their autograph? You know, I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's a really good question. You know, self-help spiritual field's been interesting for me because I've been exposed to two types of authors, some I'm very connected to, who really came into this as a sacred purpose. I mean, it really, they really did let go of other more practical and probably financially rewarding opportunities because they had a voice they had to express. Mm. And those people, because they come in strong with purpose, never get off knocked off their moorings. Then there were others who were really just about marketing and selling and selling more books and, you know, having who knows who even wrote their books. And all. And they didn't come into it because they had a sacred purpose. They came into it for ego or for financial gratification. And, you know, so for me, I always try to make sure that I spend a little time every day remembering what brought me to this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you spoke earlier about the warrior energy helping you, you out. To. You have to. Yeah. Because it's easy, especially in social media. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. I thought I lost you there. <laughs> uh, but the, the about the warrior no, energy. I've got you now. Yeah, go ahead. how important the warrior energy is to, um, to help you know sustain you in this work. And um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as I was watching the documentary because it ended up you know you ended up talking about your father. And I was really thinking about healthy masculine energy. And of course, you're you're a guy, and I'm and I'm a I'm a woman, and it's slightly different inside of our psyches. But you know how it, I'm I'm just I'm turning fifty this year, and I'm really starting to claim that healthy masculine energy or the warrior energy, I guess you could call it, which is the one that says, you know, stand up, stand tall, speak loud, and and own your space, and. And I'm wondering, like, you know, how, how your development around that warrior energy and, and how you've learned to claim it for yourself, how that's gone for you. Yeah, I mean, I think I was, I was dissing the masculine too much, you know, because I was, I was really exploring, say, esoteric considerations and really exploring my feminine, let's say, like really learning how to open my heart and really learning how to have an experience of surrender for what may be the first lifetime of many. You know, I mean, it seems so foreign to me to experience that openness. I had a love experience that I wrote about in the soul shaving. When I cracked open, 
in that way in my heart. I mean, it was like the first time this soul had ever, I feel, ever really had any taste of that after so many gritty lone wolf warrior incarnations, you mm-hmm. know, so familiar to me. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm having distant for so long, I'm reclaiming it in a way. Like I'm, I'm feeling really thankful that I have the um, assertiveness, you know, and the sturdiness and the directness and the confidence, you know, to be able to bring this work into the world, right? To not just just be the passive writer who doesn't want to do radio shows and frets before the show, right? Like Mm -hmm. to be a person who can be relational and we're starting a Love It Forward movement soon that could start a movement. And, you know, and so I'm really honoring my masculine. I'm I'm wary, like I don't want to go too far into him because he's an asshole. (laughs) The other side of him is if he goes too far, he's an asshole. You know, he becomes, it doesn't take much to go from benevolent to malevolent warrior. Right. That's why really good guys on the battlefield start going, doing crazy things because if you're in that for too long, it's so imbalanced, you act, you get crazy, right? Mm -hmm. And you get, and you get nasty from, because that, structure is so dependent on the emotionally held system, right? I mean, you're holding, 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 and then that toxicity acts out in all kinds of crazy ways, right? Yeah. So I'm aware of it, and I'm careful with it. And at the same time, I'm glad he's back. You know, I I need him right now. I need him to deal with the mofos of the world because they really are everywhere. And when you get out into this stuff with people coming with possibilities and ideas and Usually it's not women. Women have been good, but there are men who come and they want me to do this with them and they tell lies and stories and I need my backbone and I need my warrior sword and I need to be able to cut through the bullshit. And so, you know, you just got to try to make sure you're coming, moving from the heart outward with his intention. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. I I find that the way it's manifesting for me is in this concept of self-respect that my thoughts, my ideas have some worth and that they deserve to be put forth out into the world. You know, that's how I'm, you know, the masculine is manifesting for me because for me, it was always about the caretaker and the reading and I'm very intuitive and I can read the space and the energy and all that kind of stuff. But, and, and so owning, owning this and seeing that, you know, exactly like it doesn't have to be, you don't have to become the asshole or the arrogant one. That's God forbid was always the terror in my mind. Um, in order to be in the world and and to to have a sense of self out there, um, because you know no one's going to do it for you. That's what I'm getting. <laughs> no, ab- no, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. You got you, you you have to take the one seat in your life. I call it. You have to take the one seat, and you have to just say this is my path, and I have a right to my path, and do the work around the shame body, the part that tells us we're not magnificent. I mean, the whole culture is carrying that forward to believe something about yourself, and then you got to deal with the ungrounded spiritual community if you get too empowered about yourself, telling you that you're too egoic. I mean, you know, we have the wrong messages coming in all kinds of directions, but ultimately, to come back to, you have a right to the quest for purpose, you have a right to honor your purpose, you have a right to bring your voice into the world, and thank God you're bringing your voice into the world, and yeah, I mean, that's absolutely, that's the work, you know. For me, like, I mean, you know, I, I, I think that I've been pretty, ver- like, I'm a, an orator by name, verbal by nature or mm-hmm. whatever. And so my work has been more to learn how to be a little more contained with my, my language, you know. <laughs> be, learn to be the editor of, of you or yourself or something. 
you know, I just had this interesting experience. Are you George Carlin's daughter? I am, yes. Okay, so so funny. I was like, I felt like, see, this is this is perfectly on, on theme, right? Because I was going, some part of me was trying to figure out, because you said you were the daughter of a famous person. And so I noticed right when I realized who you were, all of a sudden I heard this little unhealthily egoic part of me go, cool, I'm on a radio show with George Carlin's <laughs> daughter. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, that's okay. Aren't I, I, do aren't that all I the time. cool? Aren't I cool? Right? Because <laughs> I really like George. I love car wash. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> You're hysterical. <laughs> but now I'm reining it in, right? Now I'm reining it in. It's like, wait a minute, hold on. Stop with this. I know, but it's fun, though, because I mean, I I get like that, too. I mean, I I get to hang out and rub shoulders with, you know, and elbows with some pretty cool people. And, you know, and and I'll get in the car with my husband. I'm like, oh, my God, could you believe that? You know, and it but we laugh at it. I think I think if you're it's right there and you laugh at it and you see because for me, it's like the giddy 12 year old inside of me, as long as I'm in touch with her and she's not running the show and and, and, you know, ickily projecting too much onto the celebrities, I find it be okay. <laughs> but that's pretty funny. Um, what was I going to, what I wanted to talk about? I'm so many good yeah. things here. Um, uh, oh, yeah. So here's something else, which I thought was really, uh, it wasn't specifically touched on in Carmageddon, but, but more around like, you know, the, the becoming the adult thing, you know, and I, and I think this is part of the guru thing too, is that I think part of us wants these people to come into our lives and to do the work for us and, and to like rescue us or be the, yeah. da- be the daddy that hands yeah. us the credit card and, and takes care of us. And that's, sa- you know, I, 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 I've been asking, I've been asking my therapist for years to take over, right? <laughs> yes, please. I, but I, but they won't. No. And, and, and every, every projected famous being that I ever held on a pedestal, Eddie Greenspan, I was just delighted to be with Eddie. Mm. Ultimately, is revealed in their humanness. Ram Dass, revealed in his humanness. Bhagavan Dass, Alexander Lowen, everybody I projected that onto was revealed in their absolute humanness. And the light came back shining on me and said, well, I guess you're going to have to go and do it. Yeah. And and there, there I think there's an, right. an important part. And I, uh, and, I, and I felt delighted and empowered. And then I felt incredibly angry at the same time. Ah, uh, see, I go to, sa- you go to anger and I go to sadness. You know, I go to, oh, God, I have to, oh, right. this is crushing my heart and I have to do the work and I go to despair and depression yeah. and, and all those places because there really isn't a, a, a man in the sky with a beard who's going to come down and rescue me. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So, uh Yeah, we want it so bad. I mean, you know, maybe it has to do with whether we were, you know, I don't know if we were... I don't know what your experience was, but perhaps if I was sort of more perfectly parented, I would have already kind of internalized having had that experience, and then I wouldn't be looking for it, you know, in the face of Ram Dass or the face of Al Owen or Eddie Greenspan, the dad I never had, or all of that stuff, you know. And but you know, ultimately, yeah, it seems we have to we have to learn how to find the parent, the pro- profoundly powerful parent within ourselves and, and the competent person, person within ourselves. You know, I, I, I don't want to write this next book about grounded spirituality, but I, I keep hoping someone will write it for me and I'll go, oh, you know, mm. it's really been said. But it's not happening as far as I can see. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one's showing up every day in front of your computer for you. 
<laughs> no, that's right. That's right. So it's my path to walk, you know, in in whatever way I have to walk it. Yeah. Are you are you familiar with James Hillman? Did you study any depth psychology or archetypal psychology? Yeah, I love James Hillman. I, J, I yeah, I love James Hillman. James Hillman's terminate image. I really focused on in soul shaping is sort of a symbol of what we're like the entelechy, what we're yes, what we come right. in to form to embody. You know, and he, I I pulled that term out of one of his books. I had a nice little interaction with him. I was trying to get him to to endorse my soul shape at some point and and he he wouldn't he was past that point in his life but he wrote me a nice little thing back and i felt very nice i really i have so much respect for him and thomas Moore. they they did such beautiful they do such beautiful work in this field you know yeah and the thing i love about james hillman is you know his 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 ability to to resist the need to go into the light he's so willing to be in the shadow in the dark and you know his whole idea of actually growing down into oneself instead of growing up yeah. and, right. and 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 i love that because i i love that's really what y- you know you're exploring and and it is i think it is a message that is so needed now because this planet really needs people to be present on it and with it, with all that we have to do, and all of this wanting to leave our bodies and leave our lives and just transcend into the spirit is yeah. is not going to solve the, you know, I mean, we need to be connected to that bigger witnessing space in order to, you know, to, 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 to channel some amazing energy and wisdom, but we need to be Absolutely. human beings Attachment's here. A, the attachment's a tool. I mean, it's an amazing tool to get pull up and out of our localized lens and see the bigger picture, see yes. ourselves from up high. That's what I'm writing about. I mean, we really have to. We can't keep floating away. Transcend nothing, include everything, right? It's all here. It's got to be here. God didn't make a mistake. You know, it's, like a, it's almost like there's... Yeah. A, Posing in this kind of bypass movement, you know, the arrogance of it is to almost imply that God made a mistake by putting us in human form. I don't have the audacity to believe that, you know. So I'm going to take a shot. I'm going to take a shot and find a way to believe that God knew exactly what God was doing. Well, and and yeah, and, and, and then we got to work figure out what that was. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is we're here, so we got to work it out, whatever it is. Here and, we are. Yeah, here we, we are. We may as well, you know. We, we might as well. I mean, we'll you be know. gone. In the blink of an eye, we may as well get to work. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I, you know, it was so interesting watching in the documentary your encounter with Ram Das, and um, what an uh, interesting man he is, and the energy he held, and it really seems like his stroke has really talk about grounding someone in their body. My God, yeah. What was your experience, well, my experience with him? With yeah. him was, and this was, I wrote a bit about it. Well, I mean, I, I've seen him since and had dialogues with him and I love him and, you know, and it's, you know, but I also know he's human and he has his blind spots and we've discussed his blind spots. And, but, you know, in, in that period of two days of shooting with him, you know, I have tons more footage and we may end up working with them to get the footage out there. We really went really deep uh, in terms of his experience, his emotional body, the experience with Bob. Bhagavad Das and tried to work heal some of that because he had disappointments so many as well and but my experience of him was is he was as close to the, as I'd come at that time to someone who was integrating the experience of unity like sitting in the wheelchair looking out the window at the birds and you could feel that he was holding so much of it 
And yet at the same time, his eyes were tender and tearful. So mm. he was really modeling to me exactly what Bhagavan Das couldn't, which was a integration since the stroke. Because if you watch the footage of him when he was younger, he was more of a head tripper, right? Totally. But really, yeah, so this really dropped him down into this body that he was not comfortable in. And really was a beautiful integrated weave for me, a modeling of how you hold a unified field and yet you're in your heart deeply at the same time. Um, and that, you know, and that's what I had wanted Bhagavan Das to be, but Bhagavan Das wasn't that. Bhagavan Das really couldn't hold that subtlety in his body the way that Ram Das could after the stroke. And so that, I think that's really what's so magnificent about him now. Yeah, yeah. It was very powerful to see him and, and to see him just, you know, just how he answered your questions, uh, you know, uh, around yeah. all of the incidents and, and really, oh, yeah. you know, and holding a, an unconditional space for, you know, Bhagavan Das, but well, at the same naming, time, also it. really, you know, yeah, really naming it, not being afraid to yeah. speak the truth about, you know, this is, oh, yeah. this is out of control. And, and I love that, you know, justify your actions on every plane, which means, you know, take responsibility for your human beingness and your spiritual beingness. I, I really, uh, really felt that land very hard in, not hard, but in a powerful way on me and was like, yeah, preach it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think he'd been waiting about 40 years for, for the opportunity. So you know, <laughs> he, he certainly was well rehearsed and, and he knew exactly what he had to say. He was very clear as a bell about it. And yeah, he was, he was poignantly right on. You know, he didn't let me take Bhagavan. He didn't let me let Bhagavan off the hook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every time I made a new excuse, he's the wild man. He's here to help us transform through the wildness. You know, he'd say, well, you know, I don't know, Jeff, it really depends on why he's doing that. And <laughs> he just, you know, he would, he, he knew I was like, I knew from nothing. This guy knew everything. Yeah. That was my experience. He knew who I was dealing with. He'd heard these stories before. I wasn't the first schmuck sitting in front of him telling him this stuff. I mean, yeah. he's part of the Sangha. They know all about him. And yeah, but he, what he did was very brave. I know? thought I mean, so, it yes. Brave. It, it's great. It created upset. There's been a lot of, I've had a lot of challenges from members of that Neem Crowley Baba community as a result of it. I don't think Ram Das had it easy as a result of what he did. So mm-hmm. it was quite something. Yeah. yeah, well, people people don't want to hear the truth, you know. They just want to. Uh, no, no, no. They have a lot of vested interest in all these communities. A lot of vested interest in yeah. these communities, holding on and this economic things, and they don't want the truth. And they this one that knows about that one and that one about this one. And and after all, Maharaji said, "Don't gossip." So therefore, go ahead and do whatever you want. I mean, you know, mm. what Ram Dass did is he took that community to a higher level of integrity as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, and I feel that that's, I mean, if, you know, if Eastern spirituality in the United States is going to evolve and and move on to the next level and actually be a tool, a real tool of transformation for our culture, it, it needs to grow up. It, it needs to take responsibility for itself and, and to stop, um, you know, pretend- It needs to grow down. It needs, <laughs> it needs to, to grow, grow down. down. Yes, thank you, It's Jeff. already grown up. They're already <laughs> floating on the clouds, these bunch of lunatics, okay? And they're not yeah, helping you're anybody. Right. You're right. They're encouraging people to let go of practical things that they need to drive around in their cars, living on the beaches of Maui, thinking they're enlightened. No, they've got to grow down. They've got to embrace the psychological wisdom of the West. And they don't want to because that's everything they're trying to avoid is their stuff, right? You've got to come back into your stuff if yeah. you want to transform. And that's the only way we're going to crack 
craft a spirituality that's worth its oats. Yeah, you know, uh, one one of the points that Ram Das made, which I thought was great, was the difference between intention versus effect. You know, and it's so essential. If you really yeah. want to see where people live, you see how they're willing to be aware of the impact they have on their environment and and to take real responsibility for it. And that and that's what you know a lot in the New Age community and these Eastern you know kind of foo-foo kind of woo-woo places uh, are afraid to do. They're afraid that if they do that, they're going to, you know, that they're going to lose. What, what did you keep saying? The ho- Throw the holy man out with the bathwater? <laughs> that they're going to... Oh, with the bathwater. Yeah, that they're going to... Throw, throw the holy man out with the bathwater. Absolutely. Right. right. Little, little do they... Right. Little, but little do they know that they're only ever going to find the holy man. Exactly. Yeah, the, ba- the holy man lives in the stinky bathwater. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I spell holy, holy, W H O L L Y, right? Because that's yes. what we're talking about. We're uh, talking about becoming holy, wholeness, men, of course, and holy women. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, what are you working on now, and what are you, what are some of the the themes and issues that you're wrangling with, and and you're trying to work out through your your public work? I'm 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 writing a higher consciousness love story, like an expansion of the love chapter in Soul Shaping. It's a book I think I've wanted to write for about twenty incarnations. And I'm also writing a book about grounded spirituality. So these are these are these are my main two books that I'm devoted to for the next twelve to sixteen months. And also starting a movement soon called Love It Forward. There's a fan page and there'll be a loveitforward.net website soon where we're gonna sell um originally, initially my ascending with both feet on the ground quotes book, but a number of other heartfelt products. We're going to create a distribution channel where these products are sold on a grassroots level by homeless and economically challenged people worldwide. Something I did with my very first self-published edition of Soul Shaping, and I always wanted to expand it into a worldwide movement. So mm-hmm. that's where my focus is right now. My struggle is to create space to do all of those things. Yeah, I was going. To, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your writing process. Being a writer myself, and we talk a lot about the creative process here on the show. What is your? Do you have a daily routine? Yeah. Do you have a, a an approach to your writing? How, how do you find space and respect that space? Well, I have a business, so I'm I'm mostly working full time now. And so what I'm doing is I'm coming home at night, and I'm writing from like nine until about one in the morning, and I'm trying to create one or two days a week, Monday and Tuesday usually when I work on the books. And it's okay with the love book. Like I, I feel like I'm on. I'm, you know, I, I need about five nights to write a chapter, a first draft chapter, and so it's working out. It'll get a little more complicated into second draft of both books because I've got to go deeper in those drafts. And I'm not sure how I'm going to organize it. I'm hoping to arrange two months off every winter where I can go away and finish books. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the best that I can do, I think, right now. But if not for having to make a living, I would probably just work write parts of five days a week and you know, to yoga in between, because yoga seems to always reopen the creative lines for me. And But, you know, we, we just have to, you know, manage to find a way to do it. I mean, I write at Tim Horton's coffee shop sometimes <laughs> in between business appointments. Love you know. Tim Horton's. <laughs> you know Timmy? I do. I've been to Toronto and Montreal, so I'm I'm yeah. familiar with it, absolutely. I mean, you, you have to, you have got to know Timmy's. Timmy's is going to take over the world, so... <laughs> <laughs> they're t- taking over New York, apparently. Yeah, that's what I've heard. In New York, they're taking. Yeah, yeah. Get ready. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, fantastic. Well, um, thank you, Jeff, for coming on and and discussing some of this stuff and and uh, deepening 
all of our understanding with your encounter of, uh, you know, gurus and projections and the East meets West and, and being a seeker and, and trying to be a seeker in a, in a different kind of way these days. I, I appreciate your time and your, your life experience. And, and I really want to thank you for also modeling for me because, you know, when I, I saw you on Facebook and, and encountered your book, um, you know, one of the things that I've been kind of keeping in the dark a little bit, and getting more and more, I mean, obviously, I have this podcast, but is my own spiritual memoir, my own kind of memoir about my own journey of of wanting to live a soulful life. And I haven't put it out there yet. And I've been dancing around it for about 10 years. And so you you give me some courage to sit down every day yeah. and, and do my work in this way and and to finally, you know, get my ass in the chair and, and put my damn book out there too. <laughs> so thank get, you. Get your ass in do it, Kelly. Fantastic. I, w- I will. I will. Thank you, Jeff. Have a beautiful you night, and uh, we'll see you soon on the the lovely social media. Right on. All right. Good night. So that was Mr. Jeff Brown. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, it's it's so interesting because you know I've been in this world since my twenties when I started going to the Bodhi Tree bookstore here in LA, which was like, you know, the seeker's paradise. And, uh, you know, it was just like, oh, I need to find the answer. I know there's a book in here that will wake me up and I I will find the answer in a book here, or if not a book, that psychic on that flyer, that psychic is going to give me the answer or, or this crystal, I'm going to buy this crystal and I'm going to learn how to use it in such a way that I'm going to finally find the answer. And it's just, it's been such a, I mean, I'm going to be 49 now, God, it's been almost a 30 year journey of mine of, you know, kind of maturing and figuring it out and and not figuring it out and, and following people and finding the bullshit and being disappointed and, and, you know, and then there's the, the skeptic part of me, which is like, it's all bullshit anyway. And I walk away from it for a few years. And yet, you know, there's something about meditating and, and connecting to my transcendent self that's still very important. It has nothing to do with God or a man with a beard in the sky who wants your money. Uh, but uh, it, it's complicated. And for people who are out there who who are looking for answers outside of themselves, they will look anywhere. And there are plenty of people who want to give you answers and um, and take your money. <laughs> and Get down your, get into your pants too. There's plenty of those too, which is what Carmageddon is about. Oh my God, you have to see this film. There's one moment where you think this guy is like this enlightened guy and he's like, does this amazing devotional singing. I mean, the devotional singing is really amazing and beautiful and it does put you in a trance. It's, you know, it's like going to a trance concert or something. Um, and then he gets in the car and he's like, did you see the tits on that girl? And I'm like, holy shit. What the fuck is this documentary about? It's really, you're going to love it. If you're any kind of a seeker, you're going to love this thing. Once again, it's Carmageddon, K-A-R-M-A-G-E-D-D-O-N. Jeff Brown, you can find his public page on Facebook. Uh, check him out. And his soul shaping, if you're look, if you're into spiritual memoirs, he's got, it's really interesting. It's his journey and, you know, kind of his struggle, like we talked about, you know, do I, which, which life, which path do I go? The inner path, the outer path. And, but he's like, he knows how to get this done. I mean, he like has a job and has a business and I think he still does windows. I swear to God, I think he does windows. That's something I don't know how to do. I don't know how to have that day nine to five job thingy and then be the soulful artist thing. I'm like, ugh, I'm still dealing with that. Uh, but today I worked, today I actually worked for NBC Sports. It was very exciting. So check out Carmageddon. You'll get a total kick out of it. Uh, 
Yeah, truly. Last guy's a trip. And, and, you know, and if you're not a seeker, I hope it doesn't turn you off to, you know, seeking, seeking some sort of uh, wisdom in your life, because there's plenty of great books and teachers out there and who, you know, who aren't, who aren't out to get you. Um, but take it all with a grain of salt, people remember that. Why did they say that? What is it with a grain of salt? Is it because it like is bitter in your mouth? And it like, it's like, oh, geez, oh, this doesn't taste good. It tastes a little salty now. I better wake up. Maybe that's it. I would think a grain of pepper would do that too, you know, but I don't know if sneezing has anything to do with this, but <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about now. I'm totally rambling. Um, so, uh, pretty much uh, that's our show today. Um, what do I have? I have nothing going on. I have no performing. I'm doing nothing. I'm no, I'm not doing nothing, but I'm really not out there. Although March, oh, I have to find the date. Oh, I can't remember the date now. I'm doing the sketch show in LA. I'll find I'll talk tell you guys about it next week. But it's like Saturday Night Live and they have a guest host and I'm the guest host. And I get to go and help them write and, and do all sorts of things. And then we go and we do this hour sketch show where there's going to have like stuff. I'm sure there'll be a skit about my dad or something like that. But I'm excited. I've always wanted to do Saturday Night Live. And so I'm doing the local version of it. And I wish I could think of the goddamn name of the thing. But you know me, I'm 49. My middle-aged brain doesn't work anymore. <sighs> you get that, don't you? Yes, you do. Because you can relate. Young Logan next to me can't relate yet, but someday he will. Someday he will. Uh, Logan, um, do you have any gigs coming up this week? No, he has no gigs. Oh, but Logan, a few weeks ago, you told us about a gig. You had a songwriting uh, contest that thing you were in, Top Tune. How'd you do? Top Tune was great. Am I on? I think I am. Yes, you are. I, uh, yes, I was paired up with Mr. Dan Byrne, who we've been listening to today, and we won. It was uh, we, we The title we drew out of a hat was Riding with the Angels on Satan's Highway. <laughs> Perfect for an ex-Mormon. Dom Herrera was one of the commentators, and he goes, sounds like an ACDC song. So we, we went out and we wrote a rock song. I'll, it's, we started recording it. I'll bring it in when it's done. Oh, good. <laughs> That's cool. Dom Herrera was there. I love Dom. He's a sweetie. That's fantastic. What do you win when you win Top Tune? You win an invitation to come back. So oh. I've won twice so far. Just I'm like life. Yeah. <laughs> if you win at life, you get an invitation to come back. Yeah. I guess that's how it works. <laughs> well, Jeff was talking about incarnations, which I don't know if I did into all that. But, you know, I let people say that kind of stuff because I'm like, what am I going to do? Challenge your incarnation thing? I don't give a shit. Because I, you know, I've had psychics tell me all sorts of interesting things. But I mean, I guess at one point I was, uh, my dad was a Middle Eastern um, chic kind of a guy and I was his daughter and I used to belly dance for people. And I've encountered all the people in this life that I have used to belly dance for. It's always an interesting encounter. <laughs> How can you tell? Um, well, supposedly they're the strong men in my life who are here to take care of me. I guess I, uh, you know, belly danced well for them in the last past life of some sort. And they're, um, they're now paying me back by protecting me in this one. I don't know. What the hell? It's, it's all a big movie anyway, isn't it? All right, folks. So uh, none of us have any gigs here. And uh, I'm sure plenty of you have gigs out there. Uh, and uh, next week, we're going to do an octagon table. Don't know who's going to be on yet. Uh, but you know, it'll be fun. We'll just have a just a, uh, it'll be a laugh riot, as they say. And uh, tomorrow, I'm going to uh, record an interview with Miss Katie Goodman for a future show. So that'll be good. Because you know, she's the one who sings, um, I didn't fuck it up, which we love on this show. And um, I think that's it. 
uh, everyone, uh, have a happy Valentine's Day evening. And if it's past Valentine's Day, well, <laughs> go fuck yourself. I don't give a shit. And uh, thank you, Logan, for being here. Uh, thank you, everyone at Smodcast, uh, Will um, and uh, Will Wilkins and uh, Kevin Smith, of course, for you know having paying the bills to turn the electricity on here. We appreciate that. And uh, follow me on Facebook, of course, my public page, official Kelly Carlin. Kelly M. Carlin, maybe something like that. And of course, Twitter is Kelly underscore Carlin. Come check me out there. Hang out. And um, and if you want to support what we do here, we really appreciate it. Uh, Waking from the American Dream is a cons- pretty much a nonprofit uh, adventure here. <laughs> but you can come find us at kellycarlin.com forward slash waking. And there's a little PayPal button. You can push the PayPal button. You can send us some nice money our way. And we will um, pay for stamps and Logan's gas and um, maybe a burrito or two. You never know. And we can go vegan burrito if you really need us to. Just let us know. Um, And with that, uh, we're going to go out with what are we going to go out with tonight, Logan? We'll go out with more Dan Byrne. This is raining in Madrid. Ooh, this sounds very lovely. Good night, everyone. Now that our economy is going to the dogs, maybe we'll have flamenco music like they've always done in Spain. Maybe we'll have a champion like Rafael Nadal, full of passion and the need to prove himself time and again. And maybe Hollywood starts making movies that the world can love, sad and bittersweet and full of pain. Raining in Madrid tonight Snowing in my head I'm waiting on my friend And a sign from the gods To come out and play Now that our economy Is going to the dogs Now that our economy Is going Maybe we'll sing and dance and make love like they've always done in Spain Maybe we'll be like the folks in Argentina Who know how to laugh and take their showers in the rain And maybe Hollywood starts making movies that the world can love Sad and bittersweet and full of pain It's raining in Madrid Snowing in my head, I'm waiting on my friend. And a sign from the gods to come out and play. Now that our economy is going to dust.
time there was a bird who loved podcasts and when he couldn't find him playing live well that always burned his ass he started collecting the dates and he put them on a little list that's because he's jonathan livingston sales goal the bird of salesmanship john livingston sales goal is on the wing my friends look up he telling where you can see some smago shows man he gonna tell you what's up He's going to let you know that this Valentine's Day, you don't have to be alone. Because comic book men are coming right into your home. Oh, Thursday night is the return of comic book men, folks. February 14th, Valentine's Day, 9 p.m. on a new night. Comic book men returns to AMC. But that's not all we got going on this week, man. You want to see a little Hollywood Babylon on Saturday night? Well, you're going to have to drive, man. It's not in Los Angeles this week. Not in Hollywood. It's going to be Long Beach Babylon, my children. That's right. You're going to the Long Beach Laugh Factory on Saturday night, 10 o'clock. You're going to watch me and Ralph babble the fuck on in Long Beach, baby, man. But what about the folks who are like, hey, man, what about the Laugh Factory in Hollywood? What about us, you piece of shit? Well, I thought of you too, man, because I'm coming to you a week after that. Less than a week, man. Me and Jay are coming back to do Jay and Silent Bob Get Old Again. Burb likes that so much. Hollywood Laugh Factory, February 20th. I know, I'm telling him, Bird. 10 p.m., man. Me and Jay return. We had a great time last time. We're going to have another good time right after that, man. So there's three ways that you can check out Smodco over the course of the next week. Meanwhile, dropping podcasts, man, like I'm dropping piles of shit, dude. New Smodcast, new Hollywood Babylon, new Jane Silent Bob Get Old, new Smoothie Makers, and guess what, man? I'm bringing my lady with me this week. New Plus One, baby. My life's going to give you all the Smodco, folks. Smodco is your mother, your father, your brother, sister, your favorite aunt, a pet that you've always loved. Smodco podcasts now another smodco podcast this has been a production of smodco internet radio sir only at smodcast.com